Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, September 21st. We begin with a wrap-up of the federal election. We get the latest from Global News reporter Sean O'Shea on what turned out, for the most part, to be a vote for more of the same. Next, we continue our conversation on Monday's election. We get some reaction from Mount Royal University political scientist Lori Williams. Today is Zero Emissions Day. We take a look at the role individual corporations can take to make a positive environmental impact. We speak with Adrian Thomas, President of Schneider Electric Canada. And finally, we hear details on an award-winning medical breakthrough developed right here in Calgary. University of Calgary lung physician Alex Chi brings us details on the groundbreaking treatment that he and his team have developed to treat collapsed lungs. It is the morning after the night before and joining us this morning to talk about last night's election results, Global News reporter Sean O'Shea. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Sue. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it has been a long, well, pretty close to 24 hours for you and a busy one at that. What's the results? You know, we've seen the numbers. It is a minority government once again for the Trudeau liberals. What are what are people feeling across the country? Does it seem right now? Uh, Groundhog Day. Does that (laughs) that ring a bell? Yes. (laughs) I mean, the the numbers are moving a bit, uh, you know, because some of the races haven't been finally decided. But this is virtually a carbon copy. You could have printed the the newspaper headline from 2019 and not been all that far off. Um, I I didn't bump into anybody here in Toronto. And I'm from Calgary, born and raised. So I I know that there's a different mentality depending on where you are in the country. But out here, I didn't find anybody that wanted this election. And so the fact that Trudeau has won this election is good for the Liberals uh, in one way, but uh, I think a lot of people who were voters just thought that this was totally unnecessary, a waste of time, and the Liberals really are no farther ahead today than they were when they called the election. Very interesting, uh, Sean, in that, you know, normally when you you unpack something that has happened in the past 24 hours and you move ahead, there's questions as to the leadership of maybe one or two candidates. But I would see uh, this one as a very interesting introspective from each, uh, you know, party in that no leader, uh, you know, might be safe with the results that we have seen in the past 24 hours. Yeah, Andy, it's 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 interesting because the, the perception here is that this was a loser for everybody. Yeah, Trudeau won, um, but he didn't win the majority that he wanted, and so that puts him a bit on a knife edge, just mm-hmm. a bit. Um, Aaron O'Toole should have done better in the view of a lot of conservatives. He didn't do that well, but he gets a bit of an a bit of an out because he's the new guy. Uh, Jagmeet Singh did pretty well and is seen to be, I think, having done the best of the group. Um, Maxine Bernier, well, didn't win a seat, but, you know, they've got 5 or 6% of voter popularity. And then Annemarie Paul in, in Toronto with the Green Party, I mean, I live in that constituency. She ran three times in the last three years. She's lost three times, and she came fourth to the Conservatives. In downtown Toronto, I can tell you the Conservatives don't poll well. She was beaten by the Conservatives. So mm. I don't think anybody had a great campaign. Uh, she probably had the worst. Do you think maybe Maxime Bernier might have had the best campaign in terms of picking up the numbers that he did, showing the the discontent really out here in the West particularly, but across the country? He sure did, did well in terms of, of that. I mean, he didn't get a seat. So the reality is 
all the popular vote in the world doesn't get you a seat, means you don't have an influence in Parliament. But I went to one of the PPC rallies uh, just outside of Toronto a week ago. Uh, it wasn't one of his biggest. Um, and, you know, there's a, I think there's a gap between the, uh, the ability to, to get people to come and vote and support you and, and just, you know, being angry. There's a lot of anger at these rallies. And I know in Alberta it resonates in a different way, having you know, come from Alberta um, and in suburban Ontario, it does as well. But in cities where you need the votes in places like the greater Toronto area, you've got 25 seats right here. You have to have some inroads if you want to you want to form government or at least get a seat. And I think he's still lacking that. He doesn't have a platform that is viable by enough Canadians at this point. Five percent is great, but does it translate to seats? Not this time. John, you were running through the candidates. You mentioned the new guy when it comes to the Conservatives, Aaron O'Toole. And I recall it was weeks, if not just a couple of months before the pandemic, it seemed to be the case that Aaron O'Toole was touring through the radio station here at 770 CHQ, our chance to meet the new guy. And then the pandemic hit. Um, I'm wondering if the Conservatives will perhaps look at that as an opportunity that was missed for Canadians to get to know their number one guy uh, during this tumultuous time. Well, they kept him in the studio, Andy. They did a lot of that. They didn't have the kind of forward-facing campaign that the Liberals did. I remember, I mean, we all saw Justin Trudeau get gravel thrown at him at a campaign stop north of Toronto. It was a more tumultuous campaign. They were, it was grittier. Uh, a lot of people thought this should not be the case where you'd be, you know, running around with people that were protesting, but he did it. They continued it. Aaron O'Toole didn't do nearly as much of that, ran a controlled campaign, seemed to be working at the beginning, and then sort of a week a week ago, things started to fall apart. He went into a bit of a shell. He stopped doing media interviews. He canceled the CTV interview. He didn't take reporter questions in the last couple of days. If you're winning or if you're doing really well, usually you want to spread the message. They got the message that they weren't doing so well. And in the end, they didn't do that well. Not They, they fell far short of expectations, and they fell far short of what they really thought that they were going to get. Sean, we heard in one of the debates, Justin Trudeau pretty much promising that should he win another minority government, we might see another election called again in 18 months or so. I mean, that's got to have people you know, on edge as we look towards the future. I think the reality is, Sue, that now that the election's over, all the parties are financially struggling, right? Mm. After the NDP, for example, probably the most. It takes a lot of time to raise money, and the Liberals, too. I mean, the Conservatives could probably raise more money than, than the rest of them, I would think. But I think one of the lessons learned here is that Canadians didn't want this election. I don't think it would fly to have another election unless it was absolutely necessary, like a loss of confidence, uh, because he didn't need to have this election, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody... Nobody believes he needed this, and and so the payoff wasn't there for him. He got what he had to start with. Canadians were ticked off in a lot of cases, and we're exactly where we were, uh, you know, four or five weeks ago. So I don't know whether it'll happen. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to follow through. Maybe he's learned a lesson. Sean, thanks for your time. We'll let you grab a, a bucket of coffee or maybe <laughs> uh, some uh, proper sleep after your uh, 24-hour shift here. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. That's global reporter Sean O'Shea. As the dust settles following last night's election, we are joined this morning by Laurie Williams, professor of political science at MRU. Good morning to you, Laurie. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Andy. 
We are getting a lot of uh, opinion on our text line. We love to hear from people, and they're saying this is exactly the same. We're going the exact same path that we've been uh, for the past couple of years, and nothing has changed. In your eyes, has anything changed with the result we did see last night? Well, we certainly saw a change in Alberta. Uh, we're going to have likely at least one voice at the cabinet table, and uh, for the province, I think that is significant. Um, but of course, if you're actually looking at the numbers, it's remarkable how close it is to where we were before the election. Laurie, Trudeau called the election hoping, obviously, to secure a majority government, even though he wouldn't admit to that fact. But was it a mistake for him to call the election? I mean, the Liberals do come out the winners with a minority, obviously, but does Trudeau come out a winner out of this? Well, I think a lot of people were sort of thinking this might be his last election anyway. The fact that he didn't lose seats puts him in a relatively stable position, um, but certainly there are going to be questions swirling about his leadership, about Aaron O'Toole's leadership, and of course, Annamie Paul's leadership. Um, for for Justin Trudeau, uh, this basically, I think part of the calculation was majority or no, he was going to have more stability because it wouldn't be as tempting for the opposition parties to force an election with a vote of confidence. And and I suppose that's that's a gain that he can claim. But, you know, he certainly sounded like he'd been humbled last night in his speech. He recognized that the Canadians really didn't want this election to be called. And uh, and there there certainly is pressure on all of the parties federally. And I think even between the federal, provincial and municipal level, pressure for elected officials to work together. So Trudeau, to a large extent, holding his ground. But, you know, having said that, we looked at Andrew Scheer last time out and the fate of Andrew Scheer. Uh, all other major political party leaders, I would think, and I want to know your opinion on this, uh, Professor Williams, um, any any one of these leaders could be up for, for uh, non-renewal, if you will. Yeah, well, I think Aaron O'Toole is going to going to have a lot of, of arrows sort of flying his direction. He sounded quite firm and defiant last night, saying, look, this is the path of the future. We've got to be more uh more centrist we've got to have a representation across across the board but last night even before the all the speeches were done campaign light coalition was saying that aaron o'toole can no longer be leader of the of the party if if that kind of uh resistance particularly from the social conservatives within the party is successful then makes it more difficult for the conservative party to appeal more broadly to canadians so it's going to be a challenge for aaron o'toole but he sounds like he is in for the fight and he really wants to to make that pitch um, more effectively in the long term. I think if he, frankly, were a bit clearer on some of his policies and hadn't been offside of the majority of Canadians on the pandemic, he might have done better. Laurie, what do you take from the PPU numbers, uh, People's Party under Maxime Bernier? What, what, what's your take on that? Well, they were the... Um, the spoilers everybody's saying in a number of races, including potentially in uh, in Edmonton Centre, that assumes that the people that voted People's Party would have voted Conservative, and that isn't a foregone conclusion. And of course, you add up the the uh, NDP and the Liberal numbers, and those are higher in a lot of these ridings. Nevertheless, um, even though they didn't win any seats, there's no question that they made a big splash in this election, and they're hoping to build that into something more for the future. Um, the problem for Canada as a whole is is the intolerance represented by certainly the members of that party, and even some of the things that Maxime Bernier says. I mean, one of his most famous slogans um, that he's, he's repeated several times during this election, when the law is a tyranny, um, we have a duty of revolution. That's from a right-wing militia group in the United States that he's quoting. It's It's problematic. You know, the stat that we'd heard, Laurie, um, um, 
couple of years ago at this time was uh, these minority governments where you've got 18 months to two years of being the shelf life. Could we buck that trend or do you think we are in for more of the same? I think there's pressure for it to be uh, something that for these politicians to work together uh, for a longer period of time, I would say at least uh, two years would be the, the demand. But again, much depends on, on what happens politically between now and two or even three years from now. Um, Justin Trudeau bought himself a couple of more years more stably than he otherwise had, but it's a pretty high cost that Canadians paid for that, and there are a lot of people that are angry with him in the process. Laurie, we'll let you go in just a moment. Just curious if George Chahal's win in Calgary Centre, does that give Alberta any kind of better positioning or voice in Ottawa? Absolutely. He's likely to be at the cabinet table and uh, and advocating for all of Alberta. And Alberta needs a lot of help. There have been promises from the federal government for help in things like housing, um, municipal renewal, transit, and, and so forth. And, and I think a very strong voice at the cabinet table for the entire province could make a huge difference. Laurie, thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks to both of you. That's Laurie Williams, political science professor at Mount Royal University. Lots and of texts rolling in uh, about this topic, man, obviously. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like People have opinions. We had the one uh, saying, you know, I'm so happy as a liberal, uh, what has happened. And, you know, we did see, you know, some movement in our province. As she said, when I said at the beginning, is no, there's been some changes in Alberta. But as far as, you know, en masse, it's, it's the same bus that we're on. It, you know, but maybe having that one win, you've got to look at it as a positive. The one, you know, Chahal's win as a liberal... Does it give us a little bit of a voice in this city? There's so yeah, many complaints. Point. There's so many people who are angry that w- our voices here in Alberta are not heard. So maybe this gives us that little bit yep. of something. And I know it's not the party most people yep. obviously wanted, but hey, he won by a lot. And we had somebody in his riding text in this morning and say, um, you know, it, it is no no mistake here that George got elected for one reason and one reason only. He cares about his people. He did so much for us up here after the hail storm particularly even though there wasn't much he could actually do knocking on the door alone just to see how people were doing meant a lot and he won by a landslide and and maybe that gives us a little bit of a, a leg up when it comes to being you know in ottawa now well you know and to to see some pushback to see something different you know maybe if we're just it's a, a shiny thing for us because we we see nothing different generally in our province and uh, but in the end, you know, people, the opinion is that we were apathetic to, to go. Nobody wanted this, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, we did come out, and I'll have a look the voter totals. But, I mean, we saw the lines long at a lot of these polling stations. But a lot of people, you know, shoot at the cost of this. And this texture says, would have been so much further ahead as a country if the $600 million spent on the election had instead been evenly distributed to every Canadian. Well, I think that works out to 15 to $18 each, and you know. It sounds um, great, but that's pie in the sky because we weren't going to get that money. No, we weren't going to get it. Although the argument toward, you know, could it go toward health care? Could it go toward people, you know, oh, feeding those people? Oh, could it have people? gone to better yeah. use? 100%. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, diff- different viewpoints for sure this morning. And love to hear yours on the text line. Always open at 403-974-8255. Climate change was on every political agenda during the federal election campaign, but Schneider Electric, a world leader in energy management and automation, believes achieving a net zero future requires everyone to play a role, not just government. On this Zero Emissions Day, we're joined this morning by Adrian Thomas, country president for Schneider Electric Canada. Good morning, Adrian. 
Uh, good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's talk about this. You say there's a need for business leaders to act now and do more. What do you think needs to happen? So I think, um, you know, particularly in Canada, um, our weather has been impacted severely. Um, we can just see it this summer in some of the wildfires and the heat waves. And for us to get to the uh, the targets um, set by science and, and the Paris Agreement of the 1.5 degree, we need to move very quickly. So um, very easily, um, business leaders need to do three things. They need to reduce uh, their energy usage. Uh, we need to replace our energy sources, more sustainable uh, energy production sources, and we need to engage our supply chains. We need to work with um, those people providing us goods and services uh, to ensure that they're also making an impact to reduce their emissions. Adrian, sometimes when we bring this topic up, people, their eyes kind of glaze over. We've had it in the public arena for quite some time, and I think a lot of people, you know, um, take a look at the many different moving parts and might not understand it. So can you break down the difference between zero emissions and net zero? Sure. Uh, very simply, zero emissions, or what we're celebrating today, Zero Emissions Day, is really not emitting any CO2. Um, in the long term, that's not really feasible. Uh, and so what we talk about is a net net zero, and which means that we are able to uh, capture or to uh, make sure that whatever we're producing in CO2, we're also offsetting that, whether it's... Um, by environmental or capturing carbon, any of those other technologies, so that you balance it out to a net zero. So zero emissions is not putting any emissions out. Net zero is whatever emissions you do create, you offset that. Adrian, the role of businesses in supporting a low-carbon future, it's something we need to talk about, but it can be a difficult topic, particularly here in our province of Alberta. Sure. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think people get uh, wrapped up about when they're talking about zero emissions is, is around costs, and, and we're adding costs into the business environment. But, but if you think about the three things that I spoke about earlier, and the first one, energy uh, usage, um, uh, Ginny Moore, director of BCIT, has a quote out there saying that control of production manufacturing processes can greatly help us sustain, uh, close the sustainability gap. When we look at uh, reducing the amount of energy we use as a first step uh, to more sustainability, that comes with cost savings. So if we're going to optimize our operations, if we're going to just use less energy, we're certainly also not going to be paying for that energy we don't use. So I think if we can focus on what some of these first steps are, we can make huge leaps towards uh, where we need to go. And I think, Adrian, when we do discuss, you know, Anything to do with the environment, people get their backs up because they say this is government trying to jam something down our throats. Uh, but in, in your role, it's, uh, you know, something you're doing, uh, you know, to, to make a difference. Let's talk about the role of businesses in low carbon future. Is it the, the businesses that are going to lead the way and, uh, you know, we can uh, leave the government on the sidelines? I, I don't think the governments can be on the sidelines. They they have an impact in terms of the policies they put and the regulations they put. But in terms of uh, taking steps and taking steps quickly, I, I think businesses have a huge opportunity, both in taking the decisions um, for their for their businesses, uh, how they interact with their suppliers, so what what requirements they put on the businesses supplying to them, and also how they can impact the the mindset and the actions of of their employees. At Schneider Electric in Canada, we have um, some local commitments. So each of our employees at every one of our sites is engaged in, in different activities and different actions. So 
Uh, we have a production facility in Broussard, which is a near waste facility, and everyone is involved in making sure that, uh, you know, we're very careful in terms of our waste streams. So this, this is another way that businesses can really make the impact and I think do it much more quickly than government. But at the end of the day, the regulatory uh, policies do need to be um, uh, allow the businesses to, to do the things that they need to do. Adrian, we're going to direct people to a couple of websites. The first one is footprintcalculator.org. Let's Canadians understand and improve upon their carbon footprint. And the city of Calgary uses this tool as well. The first, by the way, city to develop ecological footprint reduction targets. And then we'll send them as well to climeworks.com, C-L-I-M-E works.com. Thank you so much for your time this morning and, ch- and chatting with us. Great. Thanks, Sue and Andy. Appreciate it. Adrian Thomas, country president for Schneider Electric Canada on this Zero Emissions Day. Researchers at the U of C have developed new technology to treat collapsed lungs. Joining us this morning is Alex Chi, lung physician and chief technology officer for Smart Biomedical Corporation, to tell us more about this award-winning medical breakthrough. Good morning to you, Alex. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, I, I, I think we've all probably heard of a collapsed lung, uh, but if you could break down the circumstances and, and what something like this looks like when someone has a collapsed lung. Sure. Now, with the collapsed lung, you might have heard of people having a car accident or some kind of injury where they break their ribs, and in that situation, a piece of rib may puncture your lung and cause your lungs to collapse. This can also happen spontaneously, so there are, there are people that have lung conditions where their lungs are more fragile, more prone to collapse, and this actually happens hundreds of times a year in Alberta. Okay, so what are some of the issues with current treatments for a collapsed lung, and how does this new technology that you're working on change things? Now, as a lung physician, I am very experienced in treating collapsed lungs, but not everyone is. So, for instance, if you're out in the woods and this happens, or if you're in a rural hospital where you don't see it very often, your chance of fixing it may be less just because you have less practice in it. All we want to do is try to make it easier for people to treat a collapsed lung uh, if you have the appropriate uh, resources available. So this is your world, Alex, and obviously you've, uh, you know, had a lot of attention on what you and your team have done. So if you can put it in plain English, what something like this looks like, what you've done and what the technology is. So what we've done is tried to make this a bit easier, almost like how a defibrillator is used in a, in a cardiac arrest in the mall. So, for instance, if you have someone that has cardiac arrest and the heart stops, you want to pull an AED from the wall, and it gives you instructions on what to do. And we've done that, too. So what we've done is we've made a device that has some electronics built in to make it more user-friendly. And for any kind of collapse lung, you do have to put a hole in someone's chest and put a tube in. And what our device does, it tells you how deep you need to be to be in the proper position without having to go too deep uh, and puncture something like the lung or the heart and not too shallow where it doesn't work very well. So we've tried to put a little bit of electronics into it to make it more user-friendly and easier and smarter for you to use. So ultimately, would we see this technology next to the defibrillator at the mall? It might be uh, a bit less common than, than someone with cardiac arrest, but we do hope that this is something that actually may be in the hands of the military or in medics, where they are in places where having very prompt uh, services is very necessary. Uh, so our goal actually is to provide it to the military and to medics EMS mm. to start. I mean, hopefully we see it in emergency rooms and maybe in hospitals. Um, you know, Alex, we've heard about the nature of the respiratory issues caused by covid um, has COVID impacted the need for emergency lung treatment in our province or in our nation? It, it, I think it's 
given us a bit more awareness of lung conditions for us. And me as a lung physician, I think I see that quite often. Uh, for a lung collapse, we do sometimes see that. Uh, what I don't know yet is whether our device will have an impact on that part. But I think that is important for us to be more aware of, of how important our lung health is and the importance of respiratory infections are for our province and country. Well, congratulations. Uh, you know, I love hearing great stories of, of success for local researchers, and, and you've done it with your team. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And I do want to um, do a shout out to the Life Sciences Innovation Hub in Calgary that's helped support our work. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate it, Alex. Have a great day. You too. Bye. That's Alex Chi, lung physician and chief technology officer for Smart Biomedical Corporation. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.